Good morning, church. Wow, California to Canada to New Mexico. What a blessing. You know what Satan meant as evil? A virus spread across the globe. God has used for good because it gives us an opportunity to spread his message. And that's what our lesson is going to be about today. We're in Colossians 4, 2 through 6 is where we'll be hanging out today in the text. Uh, I apologize that I was not able to be here last week to celebrate, of course, not only a great Lord's Day, but other victories around the state. But I felt like I was needed in Alabama. That's where I was. There was a lot of disappointment, depression, defeatism. And so I felt like God had put me there. To bring joy and a reminder that you can be victorious. And, you know, not only that, but I've started a tour, the the Lovers of Losers tour. Stopped by Mississippi on my way back here. A lot of losing there. Going to Arkansas, Texas next week. Spreading the love, right? It was such a success that yesterday, in a, in a spirit of unity, I decided to pull for the Alabama football team. I pulled for them yesterday. Can you believe it? I said, roll tide without throwing up in my mouth. I did it. I did it. Thank you for the smattering of applause. But I'm back now, right, and, uh, and ready for today. Anthony, come, please, and bring some sanity. To our church, it's Anthony Stewart. It's going to share with us uh, our passage today. Romans six twenty-two to twenty-three. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, thank you, brother. So. Uh, Today we uh, conclude our series that we've been doing in the book of Colossians, which has really been um, why Jesus, right? Uh, and, and why do we serve him? Why is he worthy uh, of our lordship? And uh, Mike started us off in that first chapter, which just paints that beautiful picture that we need Jesus more than we need anything else, right? And then Jesus' resume is so powerful and Dad, of course, brought us that message and just really who he is and what he's done for us, right? He's worthy of our lordship, uh, I looked at in our third session. And then the last couple of weeks, Mike has done a tremendous job of showing why we should live in Christ, the blessing of it, right, the power of it. And I didn't want to leave this series without this last section, which really, if, if all this is true, about Jesus, and we believe it is. Amen? If this is all true, then there should be a certain urgency among us, right, to let other people know how great this is. I love it, the families that were represented here today that have come from all over, because there's, like all of us, looking for something greater than themselves to invest in, a community, right? And Jesus is the head of that community. I guess the key word today in our text, it comes in verse 5, and it's the word opportunity, right? Opportunity. 
Here's the definition of opportunity. A set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. Pretty simple, right? Circumstances are right. Possibilities are there. Now it's up to us to do something. That's what opportunity is. If you're talking football, and as long as LSU keeps winning, we're going to be talking a lot of football, right? You look at a defense, you say they're an opportunistic group. Why? Because they create turnovers, right? They're opportunistic. In business, we know you have opportunity cost. Because when you choose one thing, you're giving up something else. So you're taking an opportunity here, maybe you're losing one over here. We know if a young person freshly minted, you know, out of college or coming into a, a you know, a business and wanting to go to work, they said, you tell their boss, they said, you know, all I need is what? An opportunity. I'll show you what I can do. Opportunity. It's a choice. And more than any other place, when we think about the kingdom of God, do the opportunities matter? And here's the reason why it's so important. You see, evil also looks for opportunity. It's a race. It's a competition, right? We see some deranged gunman that's been plotting and planning to do evil and cause harm to other people. What are they looking for? Opportunity. And they plot and they scheme. Terrorists, rapists, murderers. Looking for opportunities. They're following their Lord, Satan, who is the ultimate opportunist, right? We've talked about this before. He's in the garden. We don't know why he's in the garden. He's just there. And all of a sudden, first man, first woman, first of humanity, and he does what? He takes advantage of an opportunity. Every day, Eve walks past that tree of knowledge of good and evil to get to that tree of life, and it just looks better every day. And he's there to say, did God really say? We talked about this before, and it was with Jesus in the desert. He saw an opportunity, right? He thought Jesus in a weakened state might be willing to go against his own conscience in his mission. But he was wrong. We know he was roaming to and fro on the earth. In the, one of the most ancient books in the Bible, in the book of Job, he was given an opportunity, a set of circumstances, and he did something and made Job's life miserable. That's what he does. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he had his, his man, Judas, looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. He's a schemer. He's a plotter. He's a planner. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul would put it this way. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every, what? Opportunity. Because the days are evil. Opportunity cost, right? People's lives, decisions. He would go on to say in chapter 6, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The ultimate opportunist. Peter, of course, called him a roaring lion that prowls, looking to devour. Did you know that not only 
is Satan an opportunist? Not only is evil an opportunist, but that sin itself is an opportunist. Listen to this, Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Paul said, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. You ever been pulled over by one of our police officers and you're not sure why until he tells you why? And you say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know there was a law against that. And that works, right? No. Because you're supposed to know, right? So he writes that ticket out. And then he says, now you know. Have a nice day. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Once introduced, it's progressive. It grows. It produces. It multiplies. Sin itself is an opportunist. You just take a law, something that's good. Nothing wrong with the law until you know it and you break it, and then it grows. It seizes the opportunity. Paul was going to say, for apart from law, sin was dead. There is a time when law has no effect or sin. If that same police officer said, roll down that back window, sir, and he walks to the back seat, and there in the car seat is Junior, who's three years old, and he says, Junior, you're getting a ticket too. Junior wonders why. Junior doesn't know about law or driving because he's alive apart from law. But one day, in about 10 years, Junior is going to be in the front seat. And then he's going to be susceptible because that's what sin does. Once afforded the opportunity, it grows. It tries to control. And all you got to do is take a little look around our culture to see what it can do when it's full grown. It destroys. Paul said, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. It makes me sad for Junior in the back seat that we know what he's going to face. And yet we all do, right? I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. It's a killer, a deceiver, and a destroyer. But thanks be to God that we have an opportunity, Paul would go on to say, to be changed. You say, wow, man, you're kind of starting off on a sour note today, talking about all that. Unless you understand the stakes, you don't understand the urgency. Because people are in that state of death. And we know the story of life. And if we don't tell them, they won't know. That's a sense of urgency. The stakes are high. 
Satan has evil and sin as part of his weapons of mass destruction. And he's using it every single day. But we have our weapons of mass instruction, right? Because of what God has done for us. We have a story to tell, which gets us to our text. Paul's going to give us basically three opportunistic weapons to fight with. And they're good ones. I mean, they work. The first one is what I call opportunistic prayer. Let's look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. There's that, that word that Gary Glenn was talking about that has to be a part of who we are. That keeps us from becoming lackadaisical because we're grateful. I don't know about you, but every day when I wake up, I think, thank you, Lord, that you brought not only a new day into my life, but salvation into my life every day. And pray for us, too, Paul said, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Do you catch this order there? First, we pray that God opens that door. Then we pray for us collectively that we do what he's asked us to do. Then we pray for me personally that I do what God has called me to do. It's God, it's we, and it's me. And we have this great weapon of prayer. Now, why would he start with prayer? I mean, most of us see that not as a weapon. It's just a communication tool, and we're talking to God. It's so much more than that. First of all, prayer is communion with the Almighty. Think about it. We, we had communion this morning. We were led in our hearts to think about what Christ did for us, and we commune together, and that makes us stronger. What does it mean to commune with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? That's what prayer does. You're communing with God. That's the greatest weapon you could ever have, to have that relationship with him, to be able to talk freely, to be able to admit weakness and sinfulness, to know he'll never turn his back on you but love you and help you and make you stronger. What a weapon. You remember that scene at Jesus' baptism? He wasn't baptized because he was a sinner. He was baptized for communion. To show us that here was God in bodily form. And the voice from heaven representing the Father said, This is my Son whom I love. And then the Holy Spirit is seen and says it looks like a dove. It wasn't a dove, but it looks like something flying down and lighting on Jesus. And in that moment of communion, we understand that the Almighty has come to earth with a purpose. And then we get an opportunity to then have communion with deity. Wow. What a weapon. And so when we pray, we are communing with God of heaven and God of earth. It's the first and most important thing we can do. Paul would describe it this way in Romans chapter 8. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Things we can't even interpret or know, but we're communing with the Holy Spirit of God. 
in prayer. And he searches our hearts and he knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That's how we know what God wants for us. And sometimes it seems so clear, even almost audible, this is what God wants me to do. And other times it's not clear. And we just keep asking him. And we keep having a heart for somebody. We're like, why do I keep being drawn to this person to help them? Because the communion says they need you. Listen and speak. That's the power of prayer. Prayer is also a request for resources from the heavenly realms. There, we got a lot of resources. I mean, I painted a pretty tough picture about Satan because he's very powerful. He's a Roman and he's got evil spirits and he's got a crew. But we got more. They're there. You think, man, but I can't always see them. They're there. There's a story in Daniel 10, one of my favorites, where Daniel, this angel, shows up and he says, Matt, we've, we've heard you. But I got into a skirmish. I had to deal with that for 21 days, but I'm here now. And I just find that so insightful and amazing that in our communication with the Almighty and our communion with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there are beings that are saying, I'm on my way, but I got stuff I got to deal with. When we pray, we open up heavenly resources into our earthly realm. Wow. Powerful. Prayer itself is an opportunity to to engage people, whether they're believers or not. I've asked many, many people that have been in many, many difficult situations that were not believers, can I pray with you about this? And I've never been turned down, ever. Why? Because even unbelievers recognize there's something powerful about prayer. You talk to someone, they're having a rough time, and you say, Can I pray with you about that? You've just opened a doorway into their soul, whether they recognize it or not. We had some of our neighbors down in Alabama, and we'd just gotten to know them. They're now two of our dearest friends. And one night, the the brother-in-law gets hurt up in Tennessee. The, The wife takes off. You know, she's kind of in a panic, and the husband comes over to our house, and he says, man, this here's what happened, and... He was drawn to us, even though he didn't know us. I wonder why. And he, I let him talk and tell him what was going on. I said, can I pray about this situation? He said, that's why I came over here. And we did. And we prayed for God's will to be done. We prayed for health and protection. And he looked at me after the prayer and he said, I feel better. I know, isn't it something? It's a weapon of righteousness. He left and went home. He came back in an hour. He said, she's on her way back. Situation is in hand. People are there to deal with it. She's coming back home. And I don't know what to say. I said, can I pray with you? And let us thank God. And now they're two of our dearest friends. That's what communion does. That's why Paul begins with prayer. Watchful prayer, thankful prayer, prayer for mission and ministry, and a prayer for clarity. Help me be clear. I don't know of it a time in my lifetime for sure 
when I've lived in our culture, in our country, when things have been less clear. I mean, it's a clamoring, it's political divide, it's all those things. And yet the one thing I'm clear on is who Jesus is and where I'm going. Lisa and I spent a couple hours with Ken and Ann Bolden and their daughters this week. Man, Ann's preparing herself for the crossover where the body stays behind and she's waiting on the resurrection. And the one thing is her body's ravaged, but her spirit is clear. She's so inspiring. I mean, I left there so encouraged and thought, man, that's how I want to be in this moment when you're facing the end of this life. Clear. Faithful. We laughed. We told stories. And we prayed. God's will to be done. They told me they were going to take her ashes to Africa, where she spent most of her life proclaiming the gospel with her family. That's what it's all about, folks. That's why he says, I give you this weapon, a prayer. But he also gives us opportunistic wisdom. Verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. So the first thing you learn in wisdom is there is a difference in the inside and the outside. That's why he calls them outsiders. There's a difference. Folks, we, we have to be clear and simple with the message of Jesus with those outside. They don't understand church speak. They don't know our words, propitiation, sanctification. They don't know those words. They don't know the stories of the Old Testament. I mean, they didn't grow up with that. But they need Jesus. But you have to know the difference first. What's happened in our church, in our churches in America, we've lost clarity because we haven't focused on the outsiders with the message of Jesus. Not church speak. They don't get it. Now, once on the inside, we can teach, we can learn, we can figure out better ways of having great knowledge in Christ. And we should. But to those outside, we have to keep it clear. We have to keep it unified, and we have to keep it simple, because that's who Jesus is. Here's the way the Hebrew writer would put it. The high priest, which they don't know about, carries the blood of animals, they can't figure that out, into the most holy place, don't know where that is, as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate. To make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. Jesus died for all men, all women. For everyone to have an opportunity. And that story has to be the story. Now once you're inside, man, we can learn about all kinds of cool stuff. We can talk about Jericho. We can talk about victories and Abraham and faith. But unless you get through the door, you don't know. Until the Spirit of God lives in you, you don't have the opportunity to expand. It's just death and destruction. So there's a difference. There's also a directive on how to do it. You want to hear it? It's going to be simple. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. 
I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. That means we've got to be communing with those outside to help them know about the inside. And that's not always comfortable, is it? Because it's dirty, messy out there. Ugly sometimes, but so needed. I tell you this, if you don't have an urgency of Jesus, you can watch a culture crumble around you, literally. We don't need unified politics. We need Jesus everywhere. That's what makes the difference. It's always about doing good. Here's the way Paul would put it in Galatians. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, do good to all people, especially those inside the body of believers. All people outside and especially those inside. Doing good matters. You think, well, I mean, I'm scared. I don't know. You know, I'm not, I don't know the Bible like you know it. You know you, don't you? You know what Jesus did for you. There's your starting. That's what people are clamoring for. They'll later want to hear the sermons and the teachings and all the stuff we enjoy and love. But initially, it's just what God did for me. And that you know. And you know well. I saw a. Oh, man, you get in this world. I don't know if it was a man or a woman. It was a man, I think, that had tried to be a woman that now was back to being a man again and saying that he had made the biggest mistake of his life by doing this. And you know, I, I, I applauded. I said, thank the Lord that someone can say this is a terrible mistake that sometimes you can't come back from physically. But at least emotionally, this person was willing to share their story. I messed up. Because there's a big segment of our culture that needs to hear from people like this man. And you know what he said he found in all this confusion about whether he was a man or a woman? He said, I found God, therefore I found who I am. Praise the Lord, right? He probably doesn't know a lot of Bible yet, but he knew he was wrong and he was willing to talk about it, which takes a lot of courage in our current culture. Those are the stories that impact those who are confused and not seeing clearly what God has done. It's a blessing. And that leads me to the last point. Opportunistic conversations. Let your conversations always be full of grace. Start with grace. You know, the best thing you can do to start a conversation, especially if you're talking about the Bible, I could be wrong. That's the grace entrance. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Peter would say it like this, 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Set him apart. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, you know that. But do this with gentleness and respect. Why? Because they're outsiders. They don't know what you know. But you know. And I know. Lisa and I were in Maryland speaking that night at a pregnancy center event. There was one of our podcast listeners, a young man, very impressive young man, who's a prosecutor in the state of Virginia. He's a fourth generation prosecuting attorney. I didn't know they did that in generations, but this family does. 
And he brought his mom, who had originally connected us via email, so I had not met her. And she starts, we're, we're eating lunch, and she starts telling me her story. Now, she doesn't listen to the podcast, but her son does, and it's helped him grow as a believer. And so she starts telling me a story. She grew up Catholic. She became disillusioned with that. And so then she was an agnostic most of her life. But she said, you know, because of my son, and I've seen the impact of God in his life, I want to know more. And then we spent three hours, Lisa and I, telling her more over lunch. And finally at the end, she said, I am so sorry. I said, why? I have totally monopolized this lunch with my questions about God. I looked at our son, at her son. I said, is that all right with you? He said, that's why I came. That's why I brought her. And she said, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. Now, I didn't have to be a preacher, an elder, know the word of God inside and out to be able to share with her what God had done in our lives and who Jesus is. It's an opportunity. And we have to be ready When the opportunity comes, that's the whole point. Jesus is so powerful and does so much. At the end of this chapter, in chapter 4, Paul tells the Colossians, make sure you read this letter to the Laodiceans, which is a nearby church. Make sure they read this, this letter that we've been studying. And then you look over at the book of Revelation, in Revelation 2 and 3, and guess who one of those churches were? that had lost their way, church of Laodicea. You know what Jesus said happened to them? They got lukewarm. That means they were neither hot nor cold, just somewhere in the middle. Like Gary was describing earlier, just comfortable, no urgency. They were wealthy, so they had plenty of money, plenty to eat, and they just said, that's all we need. The sense of urgency is for more than just people losing their souls. It's also for us not to lose our fire of what God did for us. The last thing you ever want to do is not be grateful for the salvation you've received. And the way you can appreciate that salvation is when you share it with other people. And you get involved, and it's messy and grimy and dirty, but, oh, it's so rewarding to see change lives. And that's what this church has always been about. Keep your eye on the prize. Are we fancy like that? No. Very plain, very normal, but inspired because of what Christ has done for us. And we want everybody, not only in our community, but now because of technology in the world, to understand and know that. We have an urgency. But you know, Satan may be working on you today. I don't know. He may have gotten you into that lukewarm place. It may be some sinful behavior. It may be that he's blocked you from ever even knowing or making the first step. But today is your day to have that sense of urgency to make that step. Maybe God's been working on you. Folks that are watching in on live stream, maybe he's been working on you. Then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you wind up here listening to us. And here's what you're hearing about who Jesus is. It can and will change your life forever. But you've got to have a sense of urgency. You've got to make a move so that he can move in you. If you've never embraced him, 
If you've never said, I put my faith in you, I confess I'm a sinner, I want to be saved, I trust in you, I confess you as my Lord, I want to get baptized so I can bury that old person and come forth new with the Holy Spirit of God living in me. Today can be that day. If you have that need or some other, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?